Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. Wow, it's a week after, what's it, the week of Memorial Day. Getting confused, we have so many holidays coming up and we are here. It is Wednesday what day is it? The last day of May, May 31st, 2023. I've got an interesting topic for you. Those of you who follow the show, and I appreciate our audiences all over the world, thank you for your loyal listening and watching. Really appreciate you. Uh, we've been doing, I've been doing a series on, I'll call it a sub-series, on the impact of AI and fill in the blank, careers, professions, industries, creative genres. And today we're going to stay with that theme, but we're going into something I don't think I've ever covered on the show before in all these years. We're going to talk about public-private partnerships, known as PPP. So as you know, I usually do my research on ChatGPT, which is getting quite a bad rap recently. I think it did a couple of legal briefs for some lawyers and a judge threw them out. I don't know if you all read the news yesterday, but it was not a good day for ChatGPT in a court of law. We'll leave that one alone. We already did AI and lawyers a couple weeks ago. So I asked ChatGPT, tell me about public-private partnerships because I want to make sure I understood it. So ChatGPT said, public-private partnerships involve a contract between a public sector entity, such as a government agency, and a private sector partner, typically a company or a, sim or a consortium of companies to share resources, share risks, and share rewards in achieving a common goal. That sounds lovely. So I asked ChatGPT, what is the role of AI and other technology in public-private partnerships? And I got the following answer. AI and tech can help them to streamline and automate the PPP procurement process, improve project planning, design, and implementation. Guess if you're in agreement with all this, you can just nod up and down, even though I haven't introduced you yet. Improve project planning, enhance project performance and maintenance, and improve monitoring and evaluation of PPPs. But as I love to do, I asked ChatGPT for some fictional movie quotes about partnerships, okay? And I got a couple of good ones. Jerry Maguire, 1996, you complete me. Hopefully that's the way PPPs feel about each other. Then we have one from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, 2001. We're in this together, and if we're going to succeed, we have to trust each other. Ah, then I have one from Interstellar, 2014. We can't change the past, but we can make the future better by working together. I like those. So I have four guests. One of them has just left the scene to go and uh, look for his AirPods. We're having some issues. Zoom, thank you for the update that messed everybody up. We really appreciate you, but I love you dearly because I pay for you and you get me on the air. So there we go. I'll introduce everybody and until Donnie comes back, I'll just wave for Donnie. So we have Larry Williams. Larry, wave hello. There he is. He'll be giving us his bio in just a minute. Deborah Lamb. Deborah's back came to us through Andy Orozco, who invited just about everybody here. Thank you very much. Now we have Donnie Beamer. Donnie, wave hello. There you are. He can hear us. Good. Nice suit. And we have Dr. Beverly Wright, who is filling in for somebody who had to drop out 24 hours ago. You're my champion, Beverly. We appreciate you. And I'm asking them for their take on the future of public-private partnerships and AI and tech, solving the world's problems easier, 
faster, better? That's a big task, isn't it? Again, Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Let's go around the table. Everybody, I'm going to ask you to give us about a three-minute bio. We want to know what you do now, what led to this role, and why are you here? What's your passion for this topic? PPPs and AI, alphabet soup. Larry Williams, you're up first. I'm going to put you on speaker view. Go ahead. Tell us who you are, please. Hi, Bonnie D. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm delighted to be here and having this conversation about AI and uh, PPPs. Um, listen, I run the Technology Association of Georgia, as well as our foundation, the Tag Education Collaborative, and also a cybersecurity company called the NTSC. You know, we're all focused about bringing together an ecosystem of people that are passionate about technology and innovation, and really how we can uh, connect as a community, uh, and also what we do to drive the innovation economy. And so that's everything from uh, from uh, lobbying at the state and federal level, as well as making sure we're preparing the workforce of the future, but preparing it today because we have to have that. My background in my career, Bonnie D, has been in uh, economic development. I've worked in economic development for you know four different states and municipalities, and uh, done economic development work all over the all over the world. And what I love about it is really, in my belief, is it's innovation. That, job, that drives job growth and that uh, helps companies either start up or, you know, become globally dominant like a Boeing or an Amazon or Microsoft or, um, you know, help other companies scale and become great medium-sized businesses as well. All of these things are important. They're great drivers of growth. And they're the companies that are really creating that next generation of ingenuity. And I get passionate about that. Thank you very much. And are these the companies that are good candidates for PPPs, Larry? These companies you talked about, innovative and growth, are they the ones who are stepping up and saying, we want a government partner or we want another partner? And are those the ones that form the good PPPs? Just a quick thought. Many of them. Many, many of them do. Okay, good. I like that optimism. Let's move on. Deborah Lamb, welcome back. It's been a couple of years, I think. You were originally introduced to me by Don Deloach, our mutual colleague and friend. And I was so happy to see your name pop up on the guest list for today. So Deborah, I'm guessing since it's been a while, I usually say there's about 12.375 people who don't remember you on my show. But since it's been a while, it's probably 21.427. So talk to them, Deborah. Give us an update. What have you been doing? And what's your passion for Public Private Partnerships and AI. Deborah, welcome back. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you for having me, and it's it's a delight to be back. Um, my name is Deborah Lamb. I'm the founding executive director of the Partnership for Inclusive Innovation. Uh, we are a statewide public-private partnership um, that promotes innovation for shared economic prosperity. Larry actually is a member of my board. Um, so we very much love this topic. Uh, we obviously are a public-private partnership um, that was set up in practice, but also um, uh, to promote uh, greater collaboration throughout the state through innovation. Personally, I also practice public-private partnership, having worked in the private sector and in the public sector, um, working in the city where Johnny is, um, as well. Um, so a very much a, a topic that I very much practice personally and professionally. So thank you. Thank you very much. So you're in Atlanta, correct? Correct. Well, I, I was in Durham, North Carolina for five years, and I wanted to move to London. I was telling Donnie the story before you all joined. And I looked at a map 
And I sometimes I tilt my head when I read Deborah. Deborah, by the way, you're looking off in, into the corner there. Are you, is your monitor up there? We would love to see you straight ahead if you possibly okay. could. We want to yeah. see those beautiful eyes. Anyway, sorry, this is live reality TV radio. And I looked at the map and I was looking at London and I tilted my head and a funny thing happened. Beverly, I think you'll appreciate this. The N in London got tilted when I tilted my head and it turned into a U and I ended up in Loudoun, Tennessee. <laughs> Larry sort of got it. Anyway, nice place to live. Okay, let's leave that one on the table. I'm going to move around the table. Donnie Beamer, other Atlantan with Deborah, and and I, I know where you are, three and a half hours away. Come visit me anytime, both of you. Donnie, we're ready. We'd love to know who you are, what you do, what's your passion for public private partnerships and AI. Go ahead. Mm. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes! This, yes! Ah, Yay, you did it. Go ahead. Speak. <laughs> oh, great. Well, good to hear. So uh, as Deborah called out, I'm sitting in the public part of those partnerships now, right? So I, I serve um, the city of Atlanta and our mayor as its senior technology advisor. And so it's a new function that was created 148 days ago when I, when I started in this position. So new to the space and my mandate and our focus is to grow our technology ecosystem. So we want to be a top tier uh, actually a top five tech hub in the U.S. and then, you know, renowned globally as a place where if you wanted to start a company, then this is the place to be. And um, I spend most of my time making sure that any founders here have access to talent, capital, and customers. And then there's this question around AI and why it's important to the city. And, um, I mean, you've heard all the fear around what it can do to jobs and society. And so we want to make sure that everyone in Atlanta knows how to use the tool and we can participate in all that is comes from it in a positive way. Right. So. I like that you added positive way. It's, it's taking hits. There's a big article today that AI will lead to our extinction. I don't know hmm. which one of us yeah. will be extinct some sooner than others <laughs> anyway, by the natural law of nature, but uh, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. I, I try to stay away from the bad parts of AI. I want to look at, at the positives, at the positive impact. So that's what we're here to do. Thank you, Donnie. Pleasure to have you on. Dr. Beverly Wright, we are so honored to have you. I have to tell everybody Beverly is a is a champion. She joined the panel last night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> last minute replacement for a guest who couldn't attend. And I'm very appreciative of your pivot, Beverly. I don't know what else you were going to be doing today, but we're very glad you're here. We would love to know who you are, what you do, and what does this topic mean to you? Welcome, Beverly. Yep, absolutely. Um, I work for Larry, <laughs> sort of. And um, Donnie, AirPods for the win, right? So I've spent 30 years in uh, data science before it was called that. I had the good fortune of um, happening to live in Atlanta and finding the school, Georgia State, that had one of uh, a decision sciences degree. And Bonnie, I have to tell you, people made fun of me. Like my parents were like, oh, you're going to be a decision scientist? Like, what does that mean? And, and now it's like all the rage. Like it's, if they could see me now. Um, so I've, um, spent 30 years in this field. I was an individual contributor or a team lead for different companies. I've been in consulting and I spent over 20 years in academia. So I've definitely been on the public side uh, for large companies like Southern Company, Georgia Power, as well as some smaller startups um, that are uh, faster and more nimble usually. I've also been on the state side for quite a while. 
Um, in my current role, we, I work for a company called Birchworks, and we do um, data science and analytics consulting. We also do permanent placement and contractors. The other hats I wear, um, I said I, was, I work for Larry in a way. I'm the chair of uh, the Data Science and AI Society at Technology Association of Georgia, a role that I take very seriously. Um, and we have a For Good initiative as part of that um, society where we leverage data science and AI for community betterment. So reducing uh, human trafficking, helping uh, children that don't have parents or a home, helping veterans, um, all different kinds of initiatives that we do with TAG as our platform. I'm also the president of the uh, Analytics Society at Inform. And I'm an executive professor at University of Georgia, go dogs, um, in their data science and analytics uh, <laughs> department. So my my interest toward uh, public partner public private partnerships, uh, especially, is from the standpoint of seeing how the schools, the universities, and the institutes that are state owned. Um, I've had I have actually worked for a private school as well, Berry College in Rome, Georgia. Uh, but most of my time has been at public or uh, yeah public schools like East Carolina University, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, and so seeing kind of how they operate versus how private institutions um, tend to operate. Uh, that's my interest here, and of course, my primary interest is um, is AI and seeing all the things that are coming from it. Thank you, Beverly. I have three quick questions, even though this show is not an interview. Number one: Do you play that beautiful piano behind you? Is that real or is that virtual? It's real, and ironically, I do not. I just think it looks good. <laughs> I, I have. I always grew up with a piano in the house. I've been carting my mother's baby grand around with me wherever I move. It takes up half of a moving truck. I, I played classical, classical music from the age of seven till about 15, and I haven't touched the piano in years, but I have it with me for, for many reasons. Number two, do you ever sleep? I know it's crazy, but um, because I'm in a, a the role of Birchworks, um, it's kind of like people come to me, you know, when they need data science, and so it it sort of alleviates like that, that's all these things sort of create a pool, if you will. So it's beneficial from that standpoint. And what do you have for breakfast? <laughs> I'm sorry, you have, you have so many roles and so many titles. I have to what do you, what what magical thing do you have that powers you during the day? I'm sorry to intrude, but I have to know, Beverly. No, 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 I just have such a passion for um, data science, really. I mean, I know that sounds corny, but I've always loved discoveries. Mm -hmm. I've always loved, you know, leveraging technology to make new discoveries and to learn things and to get deeper insights. And I think I always will. You know, that's, I got really lucky that in 1989, I'm really aging myself here. No, you're not. Um, I switched my major. <laughs> from accounting to decision sciences. And it was like, oh, I don't know what this is, but I love it. And so I just love building models. And I think I, I always will. Continue to inspire you and Deborah. What you don't know, Deborah may remember, I'm an early woman in tech. I was coding COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 and key punching my cards, thousands of cards, uh, oh. running, a, running a system back in the 1970s for a community college statewide system for the state of Oregon. And then I graduated to PL1 on an IBM 4341. And then, I, then somebody said, oh, you speak computer, you speak English, let's make you a, a systems liaison. Are they uh, co 
cooperative, uh, what was it, a, a correspondent bank in New York City hired me, and they said, she speaks English, she speaks computer, go talk to the different departments and find out what they need from the programmers, but it wasn't IT. It was IMS, Information Management Systems. So I visited everybody in New York, went all the way. We did check processing. We did. We had a vault for the savings banks all over New York State. I went back to Woodbury, Long Island, to the main office, our Long Island office, and I spoke to the programmers. I said, this is what Bob in, in check processing needs. And, this is what, and I became the systems liaison before they made me the marketing director for the whole company. We don't want to go there. Anyway, it, it's been a, quite a ride, but I have such great respect for females in, in tech and in decision sciences. I've never heard of that. I, I love the way they're naming things now. Let's move on. I am so delighted with all of you being here. Such talent, such power, and so many smart people. I love that. So let's move on. I've asked you each to send me a fictional quote from a movie or a TV character or from a song lyric. And I'm going to read the quote with a little bit of background. You don't even have to look at your notes. Just think, what does it mean to this topic to you? So, Larry Williams, you have pulled a rabbit out of a hat. The song is from 1852. It may be the oldest song ever quoted on this show. It was uh, started as a nursery rhyme in popular children's songs, 1852, updated in 1854, and then finally in 1881. Uh, the name of the song is Row, Row, Row Your Boat. You may be interested, the nursery rhyme appeared in Star Trek V, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Manos, the Hands of Fate. People often add verses, and there's something called children's street culture, Larry. Uh, in Bean, Rowan Atkinson and Peter McCall used a parody singing in the film, and one of the parodies is Row, Row, Row Your Boat Gently Down the Stream. If you see a crocodile, don't forget to scream. But that's not the one that Larry picked. So here's what Larry says. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Now, Larry, two minutes, please relate it to our topic, PPPs and AI, alphabet soup. Go ahead. Funny D, actually, that was kind of a popcorn thought, just a reaction. And I think I actually said, row, row, row your boat as intently and as aggressively and assertively as you possibly can. And uh, and that is just about how do we get things done? And, you know, um, a couple of things and analogies of that. Um, if you're ever driving through downtown, you don't go stop. You don't wait for all of the stoplights to be green. You go stoplight at a t uh, one stoplight at a time, but you keep moving. You keep moving forward. Um, you know, and you don't. Yeah, and you're not distracted by too many things. You're going to hit the rapids. You're going to. Um, you know, you might even have to fight off some alligators along the way. Um, and sometimes you might get a chance to be gentle down the stream, but all in all, you got to keep rolling. You got to keep moving. And that's what I think technology and innovation and building companies is all about. And how does it relate to AI? We, well, we've got some challenges. We've got some rapids in front of us. Uh, we've got to figure some things out, whether it be on the policy side or the human side, but well, what's the right role for uh, for our computers, uh, robots, and what's the right roles for uh, humans. Those are things we're going to have to navigate, and we're going to figure those things out. And then we're going to have to think about the right way that we do incorporate that into a wonderful tool that's been around for decades, and that's public-private partnerships and how we you know, enhance our ability to move projects forward, especially projects for good. Um, and many of the things that Beverly just mentioned, but also in critical infrastructure, um, and also in our roadways and our transportation systems. All of these things are extremely important, but this is going to be us, you know, keeping things moving and, you know, keep rolling no matter what uh, obstacles or what distractions come along our way.
I thank you. And there's a, two quotes I think of that previous guests have used in similar situations, Larry. One is Dory, the blue tang in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Okay. Just keep swimming, right? And the other one is Ross in Friends when they were trying to get, I think it was a piano up the stairs. Beverly, I'm not thinking of your piano. It's staying right where it is. And they were trying to get something up the stairs. And he says, pivot, pivot, pivot. And you have to keep doing that. Look at the companies that survived the past three years. They pivoted. Okay. Thank you, Larry. Good start to our quote segment. Let's move on to Deborah Lamb. Deborah has picked a quote from Professor Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. That's how we know him, played by Richard Harris in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. 2002 fantasy film. And if anybody's wondering, J.K. Rowling chose the name Dumbledore. It's a dialectical word for Bumblebee because of Dumbledore's love of music. And she imagined him walking around humming to himself a lot. Here's the quote Deborah has picked. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Ooh, Deborah, this gives me chills. Talk to me. How does this relate to our topic? Go ahead. Um, I, I was actually still thinking about uh, Larry's quote or Larry's song. Um, and just to add is that um, that's actually a song that my son is learning with the violin right now. And one of the things that makes it so great is that it's a round, as you know. And mm -hmm. that, I think, segues really well with public-private partnerships as, as you have to really go in sync um, with everyone um, in order to really be in full harmony um, to the song and the music. And, and it's just richer um, if you make it around versus if you're just singing by yourself. Um, for the Harry Potter quote, um, I, I ultimately think that um, it's a choice around public-private partnerships. You can choose to partner or you can choose not to. Um, I think there's a lot of incentives and reasons why you should choose to partner. Um, but ultimately, we are trying to find people that want to work together and want to work with us. Um, and uh, I, I think that's fundamental to this, that you know, you are, when you agree to choose to be part of a partnership, you are agreeing to share the risk, um, share the resources, but ultimately leverage the opportunities. And the sum is greater than each of the individual parts. Um, and the idea and the hope and expectation is that if you do join forces, you will get much more out of it than you would if you were doing this individually. Thank you. And that goes back to some of the quotes I asked ChatGPT to get for me in the beginning. Thank you so much. And there is a people side to it, isn't there, Deborah? Who who wants to work with me? Who wants to do this project? Who wants to put their hands and their feet into the into the circle and say, count me in? Who wants to do it? So partnerships is the key there, and there's still people involved. Thank you. Donnie Beamer has picked a quote from Optimus Prime, formerly known as Orion Pax, played by Peter Cullen. The Transformers, American animated TV series that aired from 1984. Wow, we're going back in time again, but not as far back as Larry saw it. 84 to 87 in syndication based on Hasbro's Transformers toy line. It was the first TV series in the Transformers franchise. It depicted a war among giant robots. I could see them ah, 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 ah. transform into vehicles and other objects. A Transformer is one of the most beloved cartoons of the 1980s. Donnie, you're not old enough to remember this. Here's the quote from Optimus Prime. Okay, I have witnessed their capacity for change. And although we are worlds apart, like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. Oh, Donnie, that's profound. Please tell us what this has to do with our topic. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess there's three points of intersection. Um, the first is I was a nerd long before it was cool, 
right? And this is one of my favorite shows growing up as a child. So I am old enough to to know and love this this property. And there's a movie coming out in a week or so. So check it out. Um, the second is in my past life. You know, we've had all we've all been technologists, right? And so I built. Um, it was called Monsieur. It was a artificially intelligent robotic bartender. And when I say that, you think robotic arms and, you know, like something that's autonomous, but it was more like a Coke freestyle, but for cocktails. And it was uh, interesting because at the time we did this to 2013 through 17. And as we introduced it, I would run across people and they would say, oh, you're taking good American jobs. And they would be very upset by this idea of a autonomous bartender because they were used to the cheers concept where they, you know, they're supposed to know my name and even though AI would. Right. But uh, I think we're at a different time today where there's a lot more openness to automating a process. And, um, and that's the third thing. So under the the, the comment around more than meets the eye, there's so much to think about in this space that we haven't even considered yet. And and we'll have to either regulate or um, or constrain. And you're seeing the creators of AI call out for help, right, out of the fear of what may happen. So I think um, we're just scratching the surface on what's possible. And what you see in, in on television, right, truth is often stranger than fiction. So what, what may happen and what we'll need to balance or control, uh, I'm really anxious to see what, what's to come. So. Very well said. Thank you very much. And let's move on to Beverly's quote. You changed it a couple times on me last last night. It was very, very interesting, Beverly. Yes. Uh, the song is from the Canadian rock band Rush, who are no longer, and they lost their wonderful drummer, Neil Peart, a little while ago. The song is Closer to the Heart, 1977 song. It was the lead single from Rush's fifth studio album, which was called A Farewell to Kings. It was the first Rush song to feature a non-member songwriter, Peter Talbot, who was a friend of the drummer and lyricist Neil Peart. The song was Rush's first hit, hit single in the UK. It hit 30, number 36 in the UK singles chart in 1978, and it got all kinds of reviews. Turned out to be one of their most popular songs. Here is the line Beverly has picked. And the men who hold high places must be the ones to start to mold a new reality. Ooh, I got chills on that one. Beverly, yeah, Larry likes that one. Better than row, row, row? Larry, we'll let Beverly explain. Beverly, related to our topic, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, these are really great quotes. And um, I, it's funny because I wrote down Just Keep Swimming by Dory, a.k.a. Um, my vegan colleague, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> I think she's vegan. I don't know. She keeps going, like, going back and forth. Um, so, yeah, and the men who hold high places and just, you know, for the women out there, it's just like people, I think they mean people, the generic men must be the ones to start to mold this new reality. So I think um, where I was going with that was that it, this is a new reality. This is a, this is a new way of doing things. And I don't think we're ever going to turn toast back to bread, <laughs> you know, that um, I, I don't see us stopping advancement or returning to zero. Um, that's also a rush lyric. Um, so, yeah, I think the other part of it, you know, aside from the new reality is, because um, I let me touch on that one more second before I go back to the earlier part of the quote. Yep. But a new reality is, a that sounds pretty big. You know, we're not talking about, like, a new way of doing things or a new task or new players or some new entity 
we're talking about a new reality. This could have implications for um, not just how we work, but how we live. I mean, we're already seeing it have lots of implications for how we live, how we operate, the things that we do, things that we think about. Um, I had a, a friend, this is a while back ago, but it's still relevant. And we were on the playground and um, she had her, you know, her kid with her. And it was a little kid. My kids were a little bit older. And uh, the kid ran over, got real upset with the swing. And um, the, the kid ran over and said, Mommy, I need you to double click the swing. <laughs> or no, right. I think he said right click. I need you to right click <gasps> the swing. Look at the reactions and of everybody on the panel, Beverly. Look at, look at everybody's eyes. Go ahead, Beverly. There's a three-year-old. And, um, you know, the swings, that they're, they're kind of a whatever, I guess they're rubber or plastic something. Yep. And when they get turned upside down, you know, you can't swing on them. And so the kid got frustrated and said, I need you to right-click the swing. <laughs> and just that new way of thinking about it being a right-click sort of thing, like he didn't know how to say it. That was actually the verbiage that was chosen, was a digital term to choose reality, you know, the, something that's in real time and in, in person. So I think we're going to see um, more of that where we're just integrated, we're just a part, and it becomes a part of us. Um, there was a, a quote, I can't remember who it was, and they were talking about how we, we're becoming closer and closer and closer to technology. You know, we used to have mainframes. Um, by the way, I haven't heard the word COBOL forever, Bonnie D. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, we used to have mainframes in the basement, you know, and then we got to computers on our desk. And then we got laptops and we got personal devices. It's like they're getting closer and closer physically to our body and creating this new reality. So that's the, the third piece of it. Um, the other parts are, I, I've been sort of, you know, I look at verticals a lot, you know, because I work for a company, we serve over half of like all Fortune 500. And so we see healthcare, we see government, we see manufacturing, we see telecom, uh, all kinds of stuff. And I, I've been waiting for government, and especially I really would love to see nonprofits, to sort of catch up. And it wasn't until recently that I realized I don't think they can do it on their own. That the importance of the public-private, am I saying that backwards, sorry, the partnerships, the PPPs, um, are probably going to be the right path or the way to really um, make these sort of things happen. And as a quick side note, um, I, I also looked at all of us get lost in the darkness. Dreamers learn to steer by the stars. But I thought that would be harder to explain. Uh, also a Rush lyric um, about nice. getting lost in this darkness, but you got to steer by the stars, meaning um, what are you really trying to do? You know, and just because you can, does that mean you should? Yep. Like, is our moral compass, you know, we got to keep that at the front of, um, of everything you do. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you all for the quotes. Very, very interesting. I love the potpourri of years and sources, the movies and the songs. Thank you. Let's move on quickly to our prediction segment. Here's what's going to happen. Larry Williams, I've already picked your quote, your prediction number two. I put it in the chat privately for you. I'm going to read it because it's brief and I'm going to ask you to unpack it. Take about two minutes. We want to keep it really tight now. What's going to happen is if Deborah and Beverly and Donnie have any comments on Larry's prediction, you have, I think, five fingers on each hand. 
Pick any finger to wiggle at me, just not the mean finger. Okay, I won't respond to that. So wiggle a finger. I will see you. That's the beauty of Zoom, as much as we're not happy with it today. Sorry, Zoom, you really messed us up. Uh, and I will call you and keep your comments to about a minute. Uh, Deborah. I will pick a, quote, a prediction from you and put it in the chat for you in a couple of minutes while we're talking about Larry's. And I'll pick one from Donnie and one from Beverly. And let's see how far we get. So prediction start. Larry Williams says... The evolution of AI will present both challenges and opportunities for public-private partnerships, requiring an increased focus on addressing misinformation and privacy concerns while fostering innovation and new skills. That's a mixed bag, Larry. Why don't you unpack that for two minutes and let's see if anybody wants to comment. Go ahead. Certainly. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, it is with great opportunity and uh, with great power becomes great responsibility. So there are things that we have to really think about where are the best places that we have these public-private partnerships. Um, I think in certain areas, you know, we do have to worry about, you know, and I think a great place to start is in our, um, uh, for example, in our election process. We have to make sure that there is protections for both uh, cybersecurity protections as well as in privacy concerns to make sure that the integrity of the data and what is being pumped out is remains true. And there's a lot of technology that can actually enable this whenever we think about the innovation that is that is along. Sometimes an, an overused term right now, and maybe even a misused term right now, or maybe it's just too narrowly used, is the idea of blockchain being a great enabler of this technology and how it can secure and keep uh, the, the sanity of systems in place. Um, while also uh, uh, liberating the technology to actually do its do its job, I think part of that is uh, that it's misused. Is in the way I reason I say that is blockchain is often too much equated directly and only with uh, cryptocurrency, when the actual broader uses are much. Cryptocurrency is just one spoke on the on the wheel, as I say, and there are many spokes for that application. These challenges are going to have to be in front of us to make sure that we're keeping the integrity of data and whether it be real estate records, deeds of records, um, other things that make sure that we um, uh, continue to have the integrity of that data that can actually improve our systems moving forward. Thank you very much. Any comments? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to move on. Deborah Lamb, I put your prediction number one into the chat. And I already sent you a note on where I want to focus. You say to ensure equitable access and understanding of AI, public-private partnerships will play a pivotal role in expanding AI literacy programs and enhancing accessibility to emerging technologies. Let's just focus on that first sentence, even though it was a little bit longer. Deborah, talk to me. Yeah, um, so fundamentally, I think with all this new technology, there's an understanding that we don't fully have. Um, and that's why I have in literacy, it, the technology, the, um, the effects of the technology um, are moving so fast that it's very hard to fully understand and comprehend its power and ultimately some of the challenges that might come of it. You know, Beverly mentioned some of the digital natives uh, in, in terms of the children that might be better equipped, but, you know, not uh, there's a huge portion of the population that aren't digital natives. Um, and, and even those digital natives need uh, greater literacy and understanding this. And I think that's where the power of public-private partnerships can come in um, to promote and to provide greater literacy in terms of understanding how it could be better in terms of improving our quality of life. 
but also in terms of protecting us, as, as Larry has talked about, in terms of the risk that comes out of it. Um, you probably know that there's been greater concern about AI and greater regulation that needs to be um, called for. But I think actually even before the regulation is that we need to understand it um, and we need to be able to fully comprehend it in order to regulate it. Um, and so literacy is fundamental, I think, to AI and technology. Very interesting. And it really, it's a moving target, isn't it, Deborah? Understanding AI, it goes day by day. I recently, I, I've been, I call myself a dabbler, not an artist, but I got about 300 pieces here in my house that I've done over the past four or five years. And I started doing some AI generated art. And mm. I, I print it on clear eight by 11 film. I'll generate something, a woman with a microphone with red hair. Surprise! And I'll print it on clear film, the kind we used to use in, in AV projectors. And once I will have the ink from the printer, I will then turn it face down onto a piece of 12 by 12 white cardstock. And I will take a thin metal spatula and run it over the back of the film so that the color from the ink transfers to the cardstock. Okay, and then I lift it off and there's a little bits and pieces left in the background. I'll put those around and make make cloudy or murky backgrounds around whatever the figure was. And then I add, um, what do I add? I add uh, paint pouring acrylics or I add watercolors or I add collage materials, papers and all kinds of stuff and embellish it and turn it into mine. But my point was that recently there was an article called the best free, not true, 18 AI generative art programs, and I went through every single one of them and tried a couple. So it's a moving target in terms of the companies coming and saying, we're going to develop this. And I think it's probably very interesting that when you're in a PPP, public-private partnership, who decides at what point you bring the AI in? And that, well, that's what we're talking about, really. Which version? Is it ChatGPT or GPT-4, which you have to pay for? Is it a free art program or is it DAL-E? Five or whatever they're up to. So it is a moving target. Very interesting. Other than me, does anybody have any comments? Or are we ready to move on? I think we're good. Well, I would just like to add, please. Just, um, it, your art example is just wonderful in the in the sense that you know you are testing and you are kind of like trying out AI. Oh wow! Yes, see that that. But you know what you had <laughs> was you had internet. You had a computer, you mm -hmm. had time, you had a certain level of fundamentals in place in order to test it and understand it. And when we say literacy is, you know, we need to make sure that everyone else has those basic standards so that they can build their literacy. And I will say that for some folks, they don't even have that. Um, yes. So there's a lot to, to move from that. There's a baseline. This is another one. This was, I printed her out on film and then I added the background with finger painted. And these are pieces of silver in her hair. These are pieces of silver sticks from some kind of holiday decoration. And one of her eyes fell out, but these are little uh, paste on jewels that I have. And I painted in and smudged it and I made her put colors of her hair. That's not what she looked like when I printed her out. So that's what I'm doing. And, and it's absolutely, I, I couldn't draw that face but I'm using what was there and embellishing it. I added the color in the lips and the bangs and all of that. So I'd keep these here just because they're fun to show. Thank you very much, Deborah. I appreciate well, that. Donnie, talk. You know, yes. I, I did have a thought on this thread because I considered yeah. making it a prediction, but didn't. And yeah. just around the impact of um, AI on the value of works of art, right? Or you're mm -hmm. seeing it almost with the writer strike and it may not be directly the cause, but the belief that um, 
you know, a computer may be able to do it better. And then, so does that mean anything that is handmade, right, or human-made is much, much more valuable, or does it make those things obsolete? And I don't know how that plays out in the future. That's what we're trying to figure out, right? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let Donnie, you're here. I'm going to read your (laughs) prediction number four. You say, as the presence of androids and sentient robots grows, and sentient robots may be an oxymoron, I don't know, there will be a need to create laws to protect robots from people and each other. Oh, my, there's a movie in there, Donnie. You're going to write it with me, and we're going to get everybody. Larry's going to take a lead role in that. Federal law enforcement entities will partner with the private sector after the private sector fails to provide protections at a level that human robot activists find acceptable. Donnie, this could be the start of an entire one-hour radio show, this one prediction. (laughs) You've got so much packed into this. You've got public and you've got private and you've got robot activists who are humans and you've got sentient robots. Okay, take your three minutes and tear it apart for us, please. Go ahead. Well, there are several representations of like this in in cinema, right? So you've got the androids in Star Wars, or you've got, of course, the Transformers that we talked about earlier, or even if you watch, um, was it Westworld, right? And, and so when when you shift between, you, you get past that uncanny valley where it doesn't quite look human, and where it, you, you can't tell if it's a person or if, it, if it's not, and I think that's a really dicey space that we may not get to for, for a long time. But um, what happens is, when does uh, something sh- transition from being a property crime to a violent crime when when it's against a robot or an android. And there's some belief that we won't, we as you know the private sector, move to a point where we enable robots to operate autonomously. But I just think it wouldn't make sense for us to stop there. Like at a certain point, having Alexa on all the time would just be useful, particularly if it could act upon some you know um, prompt that I gave it. And, and so I, I just feel like whether it's tinkerers at home or actually Amazon or someone else, whoever becomes Skynet, right, they, they will build these things to make our lives easier. And at a certain point, as they continue to evolve, uh, and I guess it's not evolution because it's not on its own, but as we continue to advance them, right, there will be a time where they are, you know, um, like a, a man's best friend, the same way that we protect dogs and animals. So I, I see that's the way that this would evolve, right? Because there's going to be people that want to protect them. And sometimes they will value that robot more than they do human life. And that's it's really weird, but it's it's what we've seen happen with other sort of beings that share space with us, right? And, and so what will the private public private, the PPP have to do with this? Who, who will take the lead <clears throat> in protecting, Donnie? What do you predict? And so I think because private sector... I'm I'm not going to say this is a, like definite, but I think their interest in protecting um, these machines won't be that significant or high, right? So they'll call in, or people will call in, you know, the public sector, right, to to protect your property, and then it'll evolve, right? It'll it'll reshape to being almost pr- the same way that we are protecting animals and everything else, right? And, and so that's when there will be partnership because we will need enforcement. So enforcement will come from the FBI, the APD, Atlanta Police Department, and whoever else, right, to think about these in a very different way. Or there could just be um, new entities that are created specifically to help monitor this space because the FBI may not have interest or capacity to do that. And that's, you know, it's like what you see in movies, right? 
Yep. Uh, as long as you're still singing movies, we can dream <laughs> about it. Thank you. Anybody have comments before I read Beverly's prediction? Okay, we good? All right, Beverly, I didn't see anybody wiggle at me. Okay, Beverly, Dr. Beverly Wright, I'm looking at prediction number two, you say, or this came from your from Ron McMurtry, and you have graciously agreed to use this for one of yours, and I appreciate that. Beverly says, public-private partnerships will harness AI to achieve ambitious sustainability goals inspired by transformative projects like the Atlanta Beltline, which aims to connect 40 45 neighborhoods in the city through trails, transit, green space, economic development, and housing. Future AI-driven solutions will result in a substantial paradigm shift towards sustainable living. Very interesting. Beverly, talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interestingly, I just got back from a conference called Traction 2023, and it's about the um, tire industry and automotive and how sustainability is like the center of everything that we're doing right now that we can't, we can't just use and abuse the world <laughs> and our resources the way we used to. So it's a, it's an interesting um, shift when we start thinking about that. Um, the second thing I wanted to point out is um, these are what's called wicked problems. And if you're not familiar with the term wicked, for those of y'all watching and listening, um, please look it up. Wicked problems are problems that impact everybody and that there's no clear, easy solution. Like they seem unsolvable. Like it's it's just never, how are you ever going to fix this? So um, I see sustainability as one of those um, kind of wicked problems that have not been, we haven't really been incredibly successful at being able to figure this out. Um, so that's why I'm picturing AI as uh, being sort of the, knight in shining armor, if you will, to help us with some of these wicked problems, um, like connecting neighborhoods and using green space. The For Good initiative that we're doing this summer for uh, through TAG, Larry's organization, involves taking dilapidated commercial buildings, and th th those are sitting there, and they have all this great construction material on them, like, for example, a roof. Like, it wouldn't be something that big, like, usually it's windows or doors, but take a roof. Um, and in the old world, that roof would just sit there and fall apart and not get used. But in the new world, where we're paying attention to things like sustainability and leveraging AI to help us with that, um, we have to figure out how to take that roof and give it to a children's shelter, you know. Mm -hmm. And so AI can help enable that matching and that pairing, and that's what um, our client this summer um, is doing. It's not quite as advanced as, you know, what you might think of for AI. It's more just using heuristics um, and some character attributes, but we're going to try to help improve that <laughs> over the summer. So that's, uh, that's how I see this, this statement, this prediction that we'll start to tap away at things that are wicked problems that in the past have been just sort of rock solid and, and unsolvable almost. Thank you. Very. There's a lot of hope and optimism in there, Beverly. Thank you very much. We have just a couple minutes left, and I want to squeeze in one more prediction. Deborah, I've picked your prediction number four. I think it's a good way to wrap this up, but it's got to be quick, maybe three minutes top. So Deborah says, AI will enable public-private partnerships to flourish across all sectors, ushering in an era of collaborative problem-solving and societal transformation. Deborah, why don't you run with this briefly? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm optimistic about AI. 
you know, we, we all have to be because we're tech folks. We believe in the power of tech to be transformed in terms of improving our quality of life. Um, but uh, it, it works really well with what Beverly said is that I actually did this talk recently about wicked problems and how I think uh, public-private partnerships are the way to solve wicked problems. Um, so it, it works really well um, because I think wicked problems are complex, ever-connected, interchanging. And because of that, we need the flexibility and the shared resources and the shared risks of a public-private partnership to tackle the complexity of these types of wicked problems. And when I say wicked problems, these are problems that we know as well as problems we don't know and can't really anticipate because technology is changing, because things are constantly changing. And so we need to have this really strong foundation of, of people, organizations working together that have a common aim and agenda um, to improve humanity and improve the human condition. Thank you very much. Any comments from anybody? I have a question for all of you. We have just oh, about four and a half minutes left. It's just enough to go around the table. Pop quiz. Question is, who starts the idea of a public-private partnership? Does somebody in a private company say, you know, we could really use a public counterpart to help us with resources or with with uh, understanding of tech or with people, human resources that we need? Or does a, a public environment, a public company entity say, oh, we need to get some private money in this. We need to get some people who've come up through the ranks in this company. Where are these coming from, the genesis, if you will, of who is starting the idea of a PPP? You can't say, is it P1 and P2 or P2 or P3 or P4? Because they're all P's. But anyway, anybody want to just, I'm curious, and I think our listeners and viewers would probably be too. I probably should start it off with this. Where does it come from? Who says we need to partner? Where does that come from? Anybody? Donnie, go ahead. Just a one minute comment from each of you. Yeah, we'll yeah, around yeah. The table. Go. Well, quick. I'll call out two use cases. So first you see uh, with AI today, Sam Altman, from OpenAI is calling on the government, right? And this is almost okay. like the robot use case. They, they don't necessarily have the authority to regulate. So they'll call on, you know, the government to help where they can. So that's where their power stops and they need us to come in. Uh, then the second alternative use case is when the government calls on private sector, either because we can't move fast enough or we don't have the resources. So we need you to pay for it. And <laughs> that's oftentimes what happens. Thank you. Deborah, go. Yeah, uh, piggybacking off Donnie, it's a recognition that no one can do it alone. So whether it's the government or the private sector, so you first have to accept that. And then secondly, you have to be able to build trust in relationships. So you have to be able to, like, I have to be able to call on Donnie and say, hey, the city needs to be able to do this, or I need the city to help me with this. Um, but And I can go pick up the phone and talk to Donnie on a personal basis um, to build that type of collaboration um, and go from there. Right. So that trust and that relationship uh, happens at the individual level, but that translates to an organizational level because they know that there's something bigger that can't be done even by the singular organization. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Larry, you want to comment on yeah, this? I'm they really do come from all directions. And it's really about solving a problem, uh, whether it's the public sector needing the, you know an expansion to an airport or you know, building another bridge or a private sector opportunity that is, you know, has a public uh, good to it. Hey, I want to build a logistics center that's going to be one of the biggest on the East Coast. 
But, you know, some of the land is publicly owned, but we need this partnership to be able to advance the project. So it can be leveraging capital. It can be leveraging policy. It could be academic institutions. So really, this creativity is about solving the problem that's in front of us or seizing an opportunity that that's for all of us, especially when there's a public good. And there's been a great evolution in Triple P's as well in making sure that whatever the public sector investment is, if it is a case, if it's in a case study, is that it's going to revert back to the public uh, domain, that it has to be it has to revert back in good working order. It has to be, you know, you can't just, you know, take all the profit out of it, take sure. everything out of it and give back a broken project. It's got to go back to. I want to give Beverly 45 yep. seconds. Go, Beverly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the organization that really feels the pain will be the one that initiates it. The but, which in this case would be the governmental entity mm -hmm. um, where they, they say like, you know, we're the Atlanta Police Foundation or whatever, and we see this pain, but we know we can't do it alone. So let me find a partner for that. The challenge with that, though, is um, sometimes they don't even know what they don't know, you know? You know? <laughs> so it's difficult. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, you know? It's a little bit difficult from that standpoint. But at the end of the day, um, leveraging AI for public-private partnerships is really, I think, going to be all about um, augmenting the human decision-making processes, not taking over, but augmenting, um, replacing things that are mundane tasks, uh, potentially dangerous, and improving things like efficiency. So government's recognition of those sorts of things are, um, are paramount to really getting those things moving. Thank you very much. I want to thank you all. We have a little task to do here in a second, but everybody put your hands together for Andy Orozco at Angel. I hope I'm saying there are Angel Consulting. I appreciate your putting this panel together. Andy, Andy is here in the background. She'll come on and tell you how good you were. Maybe she'll tell me the same thing. Everybody, I want you to raise your finger now. Deborah, you've done this with me before, Larry and everybody, and I want you to raise your finger. And on the count of three, you're going to join me in saying no, no, no. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, Wait. come on. No, no. I want to hear you. No, no, no. Come on, come on, come on. No, no, no. Deborah, you copped out on me there. No, 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 no. That's because the future, that was yesterday's future. Today's future right now hasn't happened yet, and it's about to, and we're all going to work our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you to Andrew, my engineer. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.